This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and it's found on page 857 in your pew Bible. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that Cornelius, governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away in sorry. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen at his as it had been told of them. For this is the word of the God, the word of the Lord. Thanks, Annalyn. It's one of my favorite stories. We read this uh, last night on Christmas Eve with uh, Lucy, and um, it's such a great one, Sally Wood Jones. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Bill Gorman, and Merry Christmas. It's good to see each one of you this morning. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, I know uh, that this is... Uh, not often that we get to be together as a church family on Christmas Day. And so thanks for coming and being a part of this. Um, I'm so excited that we do get to be here to celebrate together and uh, to take part in, in what uh, this day is, this day that we remember Jesus coming and the celebration of this arrival, this advent of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, like this morning, I'm sure at your house, if you have young kids and you're opening gifts, it was probably a little chaotic, and we expect that to continue here. So um, if this place continued to be eerily quiet, um, that would not be a good thing. So uh, kids, it's okay to make noise, to talk, to move around. Um, I'm sure that uh, baby Jesus wasn't always perfectly quiet at the synagogue either, and so we're happy to have um, some, some noise and chatter uh, today. Um, that's the way it should be, especially on Christmas morning. So um, all this Advent season, we've been looking at songs that sustain us, songs that sustain us. And we've been studying the Psalms, the songs of God's people that express hope and peace and love and joy. And we spend a lot of time singing together, as we do 
every Sunday, spend a lot of time singing with one another. But have you ever stopped to think about how odd that is? How odd it is that we sing together every week. Now, maybe if you're here this morning and you're uh, not that familiar with church, you're visiting with, with some family who brought you or a friend who brought you, something like that, maybe you're saying, yeah, Bill, it does seem odd to me. But for those people who have grown up going to church their whole lives, I think we forget how odd it is that we get together with a group of friends and neighbors and strangers once a week and sing together. We don't do this in any other place, any other context. Most people don't get together with a group of strangers and friends and neighbors and sing once a week. I mean, sure, we, we go to concerts and we, we sing in a crowd at a concert with our, our favorite band. Maybe we sing in the car to the radio or sing to our kids before they go to bed or we sing uh, having a family dance party in the living room, something like that. But we don't gather with a group of people that often to sing. Um, you can participate in, uh, in the Sound of Music sing-along. Um, they actually have these, so that's one place you get together with a group of people to sing. Um, and, and actually, I read the website for this. It promises to be your chance to sing along with the most successful movie musical of all time, one of the funniest and most liberating nights that you will have for a long time. So maybe look for one of those coming near you. And, and occasionally we sing, right, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, National Anthem at a Sporting Event. But, but those moments, the national anthem, those are, are short and occasional. But church is regular and not short. It's long. We sing a lot of songs together. We just don't do this in any other place. When you think about it in terms of musicals, where people are singing together, church is the longest running show, the longest running musical on earth, right? I mean, it's been going, if you add up all the Sundays between Jesus' birth and now, you're at about 100,000 weeks. I mean, not even Sound of Music or Cats can, can beat that, right? So why? Why in a world that doesn't sing in public together anymore, why do we continue to sing together week in and week out? And you can't miss it in the story that Annalyn just read for us. Both the text of Scripture and the Salad of Jones book. It's because rescued people can't help but sing. Rescued people can't help but sing. And sure, there are times uh, like we, we like singing in kind of non-churchy ways just for fun or for entertainment. And that's great. God's given us that as a gift. But only these songs actually sustain us. And as we look at this familiar story, the story of Luke chapter 2, of the birth of Jesus, we're going to see three reasons why people sing, why rescued people can't help but sing. And the first reason that we sing is because Christmas is true. We sing because Christmas is true. It's not a fairy tale. It doesn't take place in Middle Earth. Um, Luke, when he was writing his gospel, he could have begun by saying, once upon a time, or in a galaxy a long time ago, far, far away, or somewhere on Privet Drive. But he doesn't. He doesn't start that way. And, and you may not actually believe that these events happened, but there's no doubt that Luke believes that they happened, and he wants us to believe that they happened too. 
Luke begins his account of Jesus' life back in Luke chapter 1 by saying that he's talked to eyewitnesses. Like an investigative journalist or a reporter or a detective, he's talked to eyewitnesses and he wants to write down an orderly account so that his readers could have certainty about the things that they're reading. And so here in chapter 2, he begins with what would have been historically verifiable fact. In those days, not once upon a time, not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, we've probably heard in the last 24 hours those words read a number of times, and we can skip over them, but what are those two verses packed with? Names, specific people, specific events, specific places, Quirinius, Caesar, Syria, town, those are all details that beg to be checked out, to be verified. They're just asking to say, go talk to the people who are there. They'll tell you. This isn't a fairy tale. And so we sing because it's true. Not to quote uh, Buddy the Elf because the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. No, we sing because Christmas is true. We sing because as people, Christmas people, we can't help it the story is true. See, we also sing because Christmas is glorious. It's true and it's glorious. Now, kids, glorious is, is kind of a big, fancy word that means beautiful and important all at the same time. It means awesome and joyful and mind-blowing, all wrapped up into one. And it's true, Christmas is glorious. But again, when you really stop to consider the details of the first Christmas, you actually begin to realize it didn't seem that glorious. We're so used to the story, we don't often think of the scandal of it, right? An unwed mother, a fiancé who knows he's not the father but chooses to stay anyway, a woman going into labor but with nowhere but a stable to give birth. This is not a glorious story. Not only are they away from home, not only are they away from from family and friends, they they can't even get a room in the Motel 6. And this, friends, this is God's big moment. Not not when he invented the stars or the universe, not when he invented the human cells or the sequoia, but when he became a tiny, burping, crying, pooping, helpless baby. Baby. That is the height of glory in the story of the Bible. And this glory, it stands in such contrast to what we think of as glory, right? It certainly stands in contrast to Caesar's glory at the time. When you thought about glory in the first century, you thought about Caesar, right? He could tax the world at the sound of his command. He could lift his finger and a thousand miles away people would obey. He had palaces and celebrations and monuments and choirs to sing his praises, armies to fight his battles. That's glory. But when the Son of God is born as a human baby, the heavens erupt. 
angels declare the glory of the moment, but not, but not to royalty, not to high religious officials, but to shepherds, these blue-collar workers working the graveyard shift overnight. Here's how Luke describes it. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I would be too. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Messiah the Lord. And suddenly there was a the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is how God comes to save the world. He comes as a baby, messy and ordinary and glorious. And finally, we sing because Christmas is for us. We sing because it's true, we sing because it's glorious, and we sing because it's us. As Christians, this is our story. It's not just some story that happened a long time ago to people with whom we have no connection. This is our story. This is our story. It's not just a story for those people somewhere out there or for presents or parties or warm fuzzies. No, it's for you, it's for me. It's our rescue. This is the story of our rescue. And again, it was the shepherds who came first. Other than the angels, it was the shepherds who first sang, the lowly, the poor, the unwanted, singing the birth of a king. Verse 15 says, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. Again, we're talking grown men here, hard men working-class men, dancing, singing, telling anyone crazy enough to listen just what they'd seen. Perhaps they're even singing some of the psalms that we studied this Advent. Rescue is here. Salvation with skin on. God hadn't abandoned them. He didn't abandon us, and so we sing. For this baby would grow to take the sins of the whole world. He'd hang on a cross for you and me, and so we sing. And he wouldn't stay dead, but would climb victoriously from the grave, and so we sing. Which means that my shame and my regret no longer define me. My sin no longer enslaves me. My heartache and disappointment no longer rule over me. My frailty and the inevitability of death no longer terrifies me. Life has hope and meaning and purpose, and so we sing. And if you look back across the story of the Bible, all along this great story of rescue that God is writing, whenever God rescues, the rescued sing. When God saves Israel in the Red Sea, they sing. When Hannah has a son, when before she was barren, she sings. When Mary learns about how she was pregnant with Jesus, she sings. There's over 400 references to singing in the Bible, and 50 of them are commands. I think the only conclusion we can draw from that is that God wants us to sing, to invite our joy to new heights when we sing, to join the song of creation we sing, to celebrate his glory when we sing. You could almost say that 
that Jesus, this Jesus we celebrate at Christmas, not only redeems a people, but a choir. And our song will never end. 100,000 weeks, we're just getting warmed up. Because rescued people can't help but sing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so delighted for what this day means. It, tr- it's, it truly is glorious. It's true and it's glorious and it's for us. And our hearts well up and we can't help but sing. So now fill our hearts with joy as we celebrate the communion meal and sing together our hearts full of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all throughout Advent, we've been lighting these candles, hope and peace, love and joy. And last night at Christmas Eve, at long last, we lit the Christ candle. The light has come into the world. And then later on, on Good Friday, we'll extinguish that Christ candle as the light of the world goes out of it. But today, today we sing because Christ has come. The light has entered the world. And it's glorious.